Hey, Unnaturalists, I'm Andy. And I'm Ryan. And welcome to another episode of Unnatural. Ryan, you got a car. You talked about it last episode. You were hoping in the new year to get a car. You've got a car now, so you're set. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> back, back in a Subaru. <laughs> Should be. That's definitely on the top of my list for the next vehicle. Yeah, today. when people daydream about cars and they're like, I want a Lamborghini, I want this, I want a Tesla. I'm like, bitch, I just want to be back in my server with my heated <laughs> seats. That's <laughs> all I want. I'm a simple gal. I just, <laughs> uh, just want my four wheel drive and my hatchback. Well, we are going to go on a journey today. In fact, we're going to continue our journey on the sadistic killer known as the Amazon Review serial killer, Todd Kohlhap. If you haven't listened to part one, go do that because you're going to hear all about all of the crazy Amazon reviews that Todd Kohlhap left after purchasing products on Amazon, which he subsequently used in his murders and abductions. We also learned about how he lured Kayla Brown and Charlie Carver onto his 95-acre estate in South Carolina, shot and killed Charlie, and kept Kayla inside a metal shipping container for 65 days. But Kayla and Charlie weren't Todd's only victims. In fact, he began killing years before. When he finally was apprehended by authorities, what they found on his property sent shockwaves throughout the entire community that he lived in and can still be felt to this day, eight years later. This is part two of our look at Todd Kohlhepp, the Amazon Review serial killer. with Kayla Brown being rescued by South Carolina law enforcement after being held captive inside this metal shipping container for 65 days. Officers had discovered her in the back of the container. She was lying on a makeshift bed surrounded by boxes and totes and they used bolt cutters to set her free as one of her ankles was shackled to the wall of the container and she had a heavy chain around her neck. And after our last episode, you might be wondering how Charlie Carver and Kayla Brown got mixed up with Todd Kohlhepp in the first place. Well, it started out innocently enough, Ryan. Their involvement with Kohlhepp began with a job posting that they had responded to in which Kohlhepp was looking for help to clean out the underbrush, underbrush of his massive 95-acre estate in Woodruff. This involved mowing, trimming the weeds, and several other menial chores like that. And from what I could gather, it sounds like she may have worked for him on a few occasions before this incident occurred, but I believe this was the first time that she had brought Charlie along with her. 
after she was rescued, an officer interviewed Kayla in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. She told him neither her nor her boyfriend had any reason to fear Todd Kolhab as they had just met him on his property that day. However, she did say in a later interview that in hindsight, she wished that she would have seen at least one red flag ahead of time. And that was that upon entering his estate, Todd locked the gate behind them. It's, it's one of those things where like afterwards you look back and you're like, well, that's why he did that, you know, so we couldn't get away. Right. She told the officer that once her and Charlie got to the barn storage area, Todd had told them that he was going to go inside and grab a few things for their cleaning projects. When Colehab came out, he almost immediately shot Charlie three times in the chest, killing him almost instantly. And then he grabbed Kayla, put her in handcuffs, and even told her that he was sorry for shooting Charlie, as if that makes it better. I I am so confused because seemingly there's no sign. Right. It, it, it feels like he's trying to get her to like him, too. And it's like, you can't do that when you are abducting someone and murdering their boyfriend. Yeah, it's... It's not how the world works. <laughs> she, um, I don't understand. And sometimes human behavior just is like, that's why we need notes on people. <laughs> Let's go back in the notes. What happened? Well, and it is baffling to think that there are people out there like this that exist. But right. He, so the job posting was for specifically women. He was well to... I think that that is what he was going for. And we're going to learn a little bit later that Kayla wasn't the first. But before we get to that, she had also told the officer on the ride to the hospital that at that moment, she had no idea if she was going to be killed or not, as Cole Hep had confessed to her out loud that he didn't know if he was going to kill her or maybe even sell her. And I'm assuming here that he was talking about selling her to some kind of sex trafficking organization. Well, he didn't kill her and he didn't sell her, but what she went through was no less traumatic as each day Cole Hep would come by to feed her and also, quote, do whatever he wanted sexually, end quote. Can't imagine what this girl was going through. And just as we heard in the last video of her being rescued, Ryan, in this interview in the ambulance, Kayla is very stoic here. She's very matter of fact. And not only does she paint a picture of the hell that she had to endure while she was being held prisoner by Cole Hep, but she also provides key details on other murders that he bragged to her about committing. Bear with me here. The audio quality is not the best on this, but I do think it's worth checking out. Let's take a listen. What did Todd do while you were there? We would get there between 1 and 3 o'clock every day, take me up to the main building, feed me, make me do whatever he wanted sexually, and then he'd put me back in the building. He would always come back between 5 and 7, take me back up to the boat and beat me again. 
detail out there. Story-wise, he told me about four. He also told me that he walked into, a few years back, that he walked into a bike shop at Anderson and shot four people and left, and they never found out who did it. He liked to brag that he was a serial killer and a mass murderer. He said he was going to kill more people because he had dreams of his body count being in three digits. He said right now it was still high two digits. He said he used to kill people from the government. He said he was a military contractor. That when he got home, he just couldn't keep being bad at everybody. He said he liked killing drug dealers and stuff, but that for some reason he just wanted me and that Charlie was just So I know the audio is a little tricky to hear there, but I'll paraphrase for you. Basically, she's in there. She's in the ambulance. And she talks to him about what had happened to her. Some of it, obviously, sexual in nature. And she also mentions to the interviewer that he had told her that he wasn't going to rape her. But he also let her know that it was very important that she say yes. (laughs) I mean... Isn't that kind of the same thing as rape? Obviously, it is. Yeah, it's coercion. Yeah, she was coerced into saying yes. So she didn't want to die. So she let him have what he wanted. Well, that's one thing that comes up. People are like, well, why, why didn't you say no? Or why didn't you say stop? And it's like, you don't know what's happening in that moment. That it's like, it's your safety. Mm -hmm. It's a question of your safety. Like if I say yes to keep things level, keep them from getting violent, like all of those factors come into play. Like that's a survival instinct, unfortunately. Yeah. And she was already being held captive. So obviously she can't really say no to him. And she she was afraid for her life and she should have been. She thought he was going to, shoot her. She said, if I said no, he didn't force himself on me because he said he didn't believe in rape, but he made it very well known why I was there. And if I wasn't useful, that I wouldn't be kept around any longer and that he would shoot me. And she had reason to believe this because he had told her about other people he had murdered. And and he shot Charlie. Yeah. She she saw Charlie die. So she knew he was capable of Mm. shooting someone in cold blood. Yeah. And when the detective asked her, quote, did he ever tell you how many people he's killed out there? Kayla answered, quote, the story was he told me about four. He also told me that he walked into a bike shop in Anderson and shot four people, and they never found out who did it. She then mentioned that he said he used to kill people for the government as a paramilitary contractor. But how much of what Todd told Kayla was true, and just how many bodies were buried on his property?
are you intrigued by the dark side of things like murder, kidnapping, and sex cults? What about when the criminal is your favorite musician or actor or director or writer? Hollywood might look like all glitz and glamour until you take a closer look. But I'll tell you one thing, that kind of point of view can make you more vulnerable. From Roman Polanski to Mackenzie Phillips to Judith Barcy to Kurt Cobain, some are predators and some are prey. I'm Dee Dee West, and I just might ruin your childhood. Follow my podcast, Broken Limelight, where I cover celebrity true crime stories. For more information, visit BrokenLimelight.com. Again, that's Broken Limelight. Follow it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. I think a lot of people are fascinated with the whole how a murderer is made thing, Ryan. People wonder if it's nature or if it's nurture. Well, in the case of Todd Kolhap, his upbringing could definitely be described as unstable. His parents divorced when he was young, and he had an unhealthy relationship with his stepfather. And his biological father would later say that the only emotion that he ever saw from his son was madness. Not exactly a ringing endorsement from good old dad about his son. But it also makes you wonder what was good old dad like. It's always a circle, you know? I mean, more often than not, kids get it from their parents to a certain extent. Well, they get something. And it's the trickle-down effect. And you you can trace certain behaviors back. Psychology is pretty amazing, what we've been able to figure out. But these people make monsters. And they don't even, they can't even take accountability for it. (laughs) Right. And even as a child, you could see Todd turning into a monster. He would often get into trouble in school for picking on other kids and even destroying their property. And it got so bad that he was actually sent to counseling for it. And then eventually sent to a psychiatric unit in Georgia for three and a half months. It's a long time. Long time for a kid to be in a psych ward. There were also incidents of cruelty to animals as he was caught shooting dogs with BB guns. And apparently he even killed a goldfish by pouring Clorox bleach into its fishbowl. And I'm sure you've heard this before. These are kind of all of the tropes of a future serial killer. Studies show that one of the most common denominators of all mass murderers is how they treat animals when they're young. I think it tells a lot about a person how they treat animals. I think there are some things that are innate, like we know toddlers are like cavemen. (laughs) That's, it's the truth. They're, they are selfish they are little monsters sometimes. I mean, my son once stabbed a watermelon on the counter repeatedly with a knife that he found. And these are definitely moments when you start questioning, like, am I doing okay as a parent? Right. But 
it's about what you do in like what follows, you know, how are we responding to these behaviors? Well, how are we handling these situations? And if the home is unstable, like the kid has no hope. Right. Yeah. Very well said. It's always about making it a teachable moment, you know? (laughs) Right. You know, how do we teach compassion or empathy? Like sometimes it's not just in there. Sometimes you have to plant a seed and then like bring, like nurture that. Because I don't think we are necessarily born with empathy. I think that is something that comes along as we get a little bit older. Right. As a higher cognitive species, with what we are capable of, we're no longer evolving in our physical bodies. We're evolving in our minds. And through all of these comforts, what should be happening is an elevation of our ability to tend to the people around us, especially the young and the old and the sick. And right now, I'm not seeing that we're so good at that sometimes. (laughs) Certainly not. Certainly not. That was fucking brilliant, by the way. You are... On your A game. (laughs) (laughs) So eventually in 1983, Todd went to live with his father in Arizona. He followed his dad around everywhere, apparently, and even took up a number of his dad's hobbies. Unfortunately, Ryan, they weren't the greatest hobbies, most notably (laughs) the hobby of blowing shit up. Oh, brilliant. I guess that was- The kid who kills animals. (laughs) That's explosives. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, what could go wrong, right? What could go wrong? But apparently this was- It just keeps getting worse. Yeah. It's like when you're standing on a train track and you're watching the train come towards you and you're like, I wonder what's going to happen. Oh, boy. But apparently this was one of his dad's favorite pastimes. And, well, he taught his son everything he knew, including how to make and detonate homemade bombs. Round of applause. Dad of the year. (laughs) Not a good combination. Well, he's still out there living in Arizona when at the age of 15, he actually kidnapped a 14-year-old girl in Tempe. It is said that he showed her his revolver and threatened to kill her if she didn't do exactly what he said. He brought her back to his house, bound and gagged her, and sexually assaulted her. And later, he walked her home and told her that he would kill her and her entire family if she said anything to anyone about the incident. Now... Thankfully, she did say something, and he was charged with kidnapping, sexual assault, and committing dangerous crimes against children. He would later plead guilty to the kidnapping charge, and apparently the sexual assaults and the crimes against children charge was dropped because he pled guilty to the kidnapping charge. It's hard to put yourself in the time and the place, but no, no. I'm so mad right now. Because how often do we see that happen? A lot. Well, and like, okay, clearly this person was a danger to society. This guy was able to post reviews on Amazon, no flags. Like, we're not watching this guy. Yeah. There was was a lot 
that led up there to- There were a lot of signs. Yeah, a lot of signs. <laughs> Jesus. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison, and he did have to register as a sex offender. The judge in the court case said during his sentencing, and I thought this was interesting, that, quote, Todd was very bright and should be advanced academically, but behaviorally and emotionally very dangerous and was unlikely to be rehabilitated, end quote. I thought that was telling. Also, his probation officer said, quote, Todd felt the world owed him something, end quote. That's another telling sign. This is clearly like this man's a sociopath. Yeah. And it it's one of those things, hindsight's twenty. I mean, 20, I throw but... that <laughs> I throw that around a little bit too much. No, but, but he really is. Guy. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> <laughs> no question. No question. <laughs> when he was in prison, Todd stayed busy. He earned himself a bachelor's degree in computer science from Arizona State College. He ended up serving 14 of his 15-year sentence and was released in August of 2001, moving to South Carolina to live near his mother, where he would continue to go to school. Eventually, he earned his degree in business administration and marketing. He also quickly got his real estate license after lying on the application about having a felony on his record, and apparently nobody caught it, he would actually go on to build himself, Ryan, a mini empire, believe it or not, and would even be listed as one of the top-selling realtors in the Carolinas. That's why you can't trust everybody. Yeah. Any old asshole can get a degree. <laughs> yeah. I mean... <laughs> I'm sure you would not expect trying to buy a house and this guy is just standing there and little do you know, he's a sociopath. I'll be honest. There are definitely moments that I can look back on when people are like, oh my God, you need to meet this person. They're so great. Oh, wow. We really need to get you like, let's, let's all hang out. And then you hang out and you're looking at this person like, why <laughs> is everybody like you? I don't, there's something really off. Am I the only one who noticed? I digress here. So he also got his aviator's license and would frequently fly to properties that he was selling out of state. Researching this, Ryan, made me feel kind of lazy about my own life. This fucking guy is doing all of this shit, like getting his aviator's Everything license. he can to get laid. <laughs> He's becoming a realtor. <laughs> he's building an empire. It's like, what's this guy? Oh, I'm sorry. It's all that heaviness on the heart. <laughs> it makes it hard to do stuff. Apparently, when you don't care about anything, including people, you're you can you have all the time in the world. Yeah, maybe it's no a lot worries. easier to succeed. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. But either way, I, I'd rather have a soul. Thanks. This guy was raking in the dough, too. I mean, he was making a lot of money, and he was That's able gross. to buy a lot of property for himself, including that 95-acre estate near the town of Woodruff that I told you about, where he would eventually bury his victims and hold Kayla Brown captive. Are we not flagging the serial killer that... <laughs> 
is making thousands of dollars. We're not paying any attention to this. And we've seen this time and time and time again. I mean, it's such a cliche to say hindsight is twenty twenty, but a lot of the time, if people were just doing their job or their due diligence, a lot of this stuff could have been stopped yeah. well ahead of time. He's he's on lists. We're not <laughs> But I don't okay. So All around right. this time I'm gonna find my composure. <laughs> just wait because it gets even worse. But around this time, people kind of described Todd as a nice enough guy, but apparently he was quick-tempered and could easily fly off the handle at a moment's notice. He was also the type of guy who would hold a grudge and not let things go. And it sounds like he held a serious grudge against Superbike Motorsports in Chesney, South Carolina. It was later said that Todd was described as a disgruntled customer at the shop, and apparently he had been there several times. His mother would later say that Todd had attempted to return a motorcycle there, but the employees wouldn't let him and laughed at him. Now, again, that's coming from his mother. It appears that whatever happened, Todd sought vengeance for it because on november 6th of 2003 he entered the shop and killed four people inside the store the owner scott ponder the manager brian lucas the mechanic chris sherbert and the bookkeeper beverly guy all four of them died from multiple gunshot wounds now, nobody saw Cole Hep do this, Ryan, as he fled the scene. Apparently, they were the only people that were in the building. But the bodies were discovered a short time later by a customer. The case would remain unsolved for 13 years until his eventual arrest. So because of all the things we talked about, all the red flags, all the chances society had to keep this guy incarcerated now he's killed four people and he wasn't done yet there was also the case of the waffle house waitress and her husband apparently cole hep was a frequent patron of the waffle house in the small town of roebuck south carolina in fact he apparently and i know you're going to find this shocking ryan would get creepy with some of the waitresses there and make them uncomfortable. Didn't see that one coming, did you? <laughs> no, I actually, I feel like I see exactly where this is going. Yeah, I'm sure you do. It got so bad that after a while, every time he showed up, the male cook would have to come out and take his order so the waitresses could be spared his creepiness. But eventually, he did get to talking to one of them and he offered them a job. In December of 2015, 26-year-old Megan Lee McCraw-Coxie took Cole Hep up on his job offer of cleaning up the underbrush at his estate outside of Woodruff. She brought along 29-year-old Johnny Croxie to help her out. Stop me if you've heard this before. It's the same scenario. <clears throat> same MO. Now, a man who thinks he deserves things from life who is constantly 
feeling this rejection. Did you know it's actually the, um, um, the top fear for men to be laughed at? That's weird because that's not mine. I get laughed at all the time. <laughs> you are an exception to the rule. Maybe I am. Not all men, Andy. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, I I do. I am not surprised by that. Just thinking, and, you know, yes, I am a man, but also being around men a lot. I know that a men take rejection terribly in any sense, whether it's from a job, a woman, a sports team, whatever. And yeah, they don't like being laughed at or embarrassed at all most of them can't take yep, it at and all. that default emotion after fear is anger yeah that defense mechanism and clearly yeah you can you can see it happen you're like yep an angry a man who is angry because he is afraid is a dangerous person and we are dealing with a dangerous person here with todd cole happen not much is known about what the pair endured under cole hep except for the fact that forensics determined that Johnny died first from a gunshot to the torso, while Megan died a week later from a gunshot to the head. Who knows what happened in that time frame? One could only speculate, but it was only eight months later when he would kill Charlie Carver and abduct Kayla Brown, keeping her in that storage unit. I can't help but think how lucky Kayla really is to be alive. And to help solve all of these unsolved. Yeah, because for all intents and purposes, she should be dead. I mean, he was going to kill her. I'm sure at some points she probably wished she was. Yeah, I'm sure she did. The same day that law enforcement rescued Kayla Brown, Todd Kolhep was arrested. The bodies of Johnny and Megan were found a few days later. And Colehep willingly admitted to killing the other four people 13 years earlier at the Superbike Motorsports shop. He fully cooperated with authorities and confessed to everything. I think in some of the interviews I watched with him, he was almost proud. And he did all this under the condition that he be allowed to talk to his mother and give her a photograph along with allowing him to transfer money to a friend to help pay for the kid's college. I guess, how noble of you, Todd. It feels like he was trying to score brownie points here or something. I'm not sure, but... It's it's manipulation of some kind, but I'm sure he if he didn't, if he didn't have an emotional side to him everything that he did in that in the, that was all logic that's so funny because like his logic center works yeah yeah you're right it's <laughs> like his logic center is is un, like his logic is undeniable mm-hmm. it's the emotional that's the thing yeah. it's like that dude who had the railroad tight blown through his skull oh my god that was like the whole reason we figured out what parts of the brain do yeah. different things that was a crazy crazy incident i should we should talk about that at some point it is a cool it's it is cool something else that really got me is and it's funny because 
Ryan, you've only been along for, I think, four episodes now, but we've seen this time and time again from family members. His mother defended him later by saying, quote, he's not a monster. And the only reason that he shot Charlie Carver was because Charlie had a smart mouth. I don't care what Charlie said. He didn't deserve to die. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's like, are we not at the point where we can just say criminals, parents don't have the right to defend? Yeah. Because it's like you lost your rights when this person went off the rails. Right. Well, really any family member, I think, because even in the, the episode previously, where the daughter defended the alleged killer. I mean, I think if you're emotionally tied and you're actually related to the person, you're probably not going to see things clearly, is my guess. Oh, for sure. Especially if they're as good at manipulation as he is. He built himself an empire solely on manipulation. If he lied on his resume to become a realtor, all of that is sign and sign and sign and we all we just missed every single one yep. until we've got all these dead people and now we're like oh crazy this guy's a psychopath yes yes we 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 knew that a long time ago mm-hmm. and there was an extensive search done of his property and that also uncovered a lot of things mainly weapons they found nine millimeter pistols Outfitted with suppressors, they found semi-automatic rifles, a whole lot of ammunition. And remember, this guy wasn't even supposed to have any of these weapons because he was a felon and he wasn't allowed to have them. So, of course, he was getting them illegally. And I'm not going to get into it too much, but there was a guy that was selling him these weapons illegally. And he ended up going to prison himself. Good. Following his arrest, Colehep claimed to his mother that there were many other victims aside from the ones that we just talked about. And when his mother asked him how many, his response was, quote, you don't have enough fingers, end quote. And it does make you wonder who else out there that's been missing was maybe a victim of Todd Colehab. During interrogation, he also claimed to have shot one person when he was in Arizona. And in November of 2016, it was reported that the Tempe Police Department had started an investigation into that claim. And they are looking to see who the person may have been. And who knows? Maybe he was just lying about that. But I certainly wouldn't put it past him. It doesn't. Yeah. (laughs) Enough said. (laughs) And there were other instances uh, also in November of 2016, uh, police in South Carolina announced that they had named him as a person of interest into an unsolved bank robbery in 2003 and a triple homicide at the Blue Ridge Savings Bank. He hasn't been charged with any of these crimes as of yet, but who knows? He very well could be. On May 26th, 2017, Todd Kolhap pleaded guilty to seven counts of murder, two counts of kidnapping, and one count of criminal sexual assault, and was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. 
in a plea bargain that spared him from capital punishment. And there it is, the case of the Amazon Review (sighs) serial killer. Eventually brought to justice, but I think the moral of this story is that it could have happened a lot sooner and we would have had far less victims. Yeah, and here I am afraid to go over the speed limit. (laughs) Especially in that new Subaru, you got to keep it looking nice here. Oh, we riding slow. <laughs> I do the granny mode. We're going to take <laughs> take all the time I need. I want to sit in that thing as long as I can. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Loving the Trust me, if you live in Minnesota this time of the year, you'll love heated seats. I can't I mm-hmm. can't and four-wheel drive. And four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, either one. Works pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Whipping shitties in the Corolla is a lot of fun though. <laughs> uh if <laughs> If you want to talk to us about whipping shitties in the Corolla or <laughs> anything else, you can reach out to us on our socials. Segway. You can find us on Instagram, Unnatural the Podcast, Facebook, Unnatural, a true crime podcast, or just find us on Gmail, Unnatural the Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to like, follow, and rate us on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will talk to you next week when we do a fan episode. A fanisode? Fanisode? Is that that's not a word? I like it. Until then, be sure to make good choices. And don't get gut. I'm kind of like stretching my arm because I noticed in the last episode I have all my notes on a Word doc and then when I move the Word doc down I could hear my mouse clicking like every time and I'm like why am I clicking that mouse that much I should not be clicking it that much and I'm sure hardly anybody else noticed it but I did so I'm trying to move the mouse further away I actually ordered one of those um Mice, I guess. You I have a, call it. I have a silent, a silent mouse. Yeah, I ordered one off Amazon. But off of Amazon, Did, you should leave it. <laughs> I, <should laughs> I noticed the constant clicking when I was talking about the Amazon review serial killer. <laughs> okay, that's got to go in the blooper. <laughs> so, so I immediately went onto Amazon to rectify that. Oh God. He would go on, build himself a mini empire, and would even be listed as one of the top-selling realtors in the Carolinas. I wanted to say that line anyway, because, again, because the last time I said realtors, I always have an issue with that word. It's realtors, but I always want to say realtors. I don't know why. Anyway. I also say realtors. Do you? Yeah. It's an issue. It looks like it should be. Yeah. The note. It does not. And it, it feels like it should say that. <laughs> it just sounds better saying realtors, but. Maybe it's just me, <laughs> but I feel like I can tell when you think somebody is crazy just by the look on your face. <laughs> <laughs> 
I am I, not a good poker player, but I definitely know when somebody's lying to me. I've seen it in person. I've like looked at your face when somebody's bullshitting you. <laughs> I know exactly the moment you're talking about. <laughs> oh my god, I'm getting wheezy. I'm laughing so much. <laughs> okay. Apparently, uh, we have to get this out first. Right. Okay. I have to go to the bathroom Me so too. Bad. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna die. 